Hey, this is Hayden with the Bible for the Busy Life podcast. Sorry it's taking me a little longer to get this episode to you. I'm adjusting to life with a new baby, a new job, but I think I'm starting to find my rhythm, so hopefully we can do better from here. But we are here to finish up our discussion of the historical books with the post-exilic period, which is Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Ezra and Nehemiah were traditionally seen as one book, and they'll pick up where we left off in Second Chronicles. But before we get too much into that, I want to clarify a term that's used throughout those books quite often called beyond the river. So at this point in the story, the Persian Empire is in control of an enormous amount of land in this region, including what was the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. So they will basically lump the whole region between the uh, Mediterranean Sea and the Euphrates River into one territory and call it beyond the river. Because from the Persian perspective, all that land is just on the far side of the Euphrates, thus beyond the river. But they will set up what we might call a governor in the city of Samaria, which was the capital of the former northern kingdom of Israel. So these Jews returning from captivity to their homes in the southern kingdom will find they are now under the authority of someone sitting up north, which of course will create a tension. And it's with that tension in mind that we can better understand the events that take place in Ezra and Nehemiah. The book of Ezra picks up with the decree of Cyrus. He wants to be on the good side of as many gods as possible, including the Jewish God. So he will give the Jews both permission and funding to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple and pray for his empire. So a bunch of the Jews go back to Jerusalem. They almost immediately rebuild the altar to reinstate the the sacrifices to the Lord. So they get off to a good start. Shortly afterwards, they uh, lay a foundation for a new temple. But once they get that foundation laid, they run into some roadblocks. Some people come down from Samaria saying they want to join in with on the build. They say that they've been worshiping the same God as the Jews since they were brought in by the Assyrian king Esaradon. Which at first glance sounds great, but remember the Assyrians sent people into these territories with the uh, explicit intention of making the religion and the culture uh, disappear from the earth. So the Jews returning from Babylon... Uh, refuse their offer to say we're going to build it ourselves, and that makes these Samaritans angry. So they will send a letter back to the Persian capital telling the king that they that he needs to put a stop to the building of this temple, that these Jews will rebel if they complete the build, and he needs to put a stop to it. At this point, the book can be a little confusing. Once again, the Jewish mind tends to think of things topically, whereas we tend to think of things chronologically. So there's four Persian kings mentioned in the book. Cyrus, Darius, Xerxes, and Artaxerxes. So Darius is the king right now. They send a letter to him. They send a letter to Xerxes, and then later to King Artaxerxes. And once the writer gets done talking about all the times they've sent letters back to Persia, then we continue the discussion we were at previously. So the Samaritans send a letter back to Persia about uh, the temple being built. The king now is a man named Darius, and he wasn't there when the decree was written. He doesn't know what's going on, so he's Uh, tells his people to search the archives for this decree that Cyrus supposedly uh, sent. After some time, the decree is found, and Darius gives the Jews the green light to continue building the temple. So between that and some prodding from the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the building continues. They finally finished the temple around 516 B.C. or so, about two decades after the decree of Cyrus in 539. But the Jews finally have a temple once again. They consecrate the temple, they begin offering sacrifices there, and then the book skips almost 60 years to when Ezra comes onto the scene. He is both a priest and a scribe, and so he will bring a bunch more people, specifically a bunch of priests and Levites, 
back from captivity to Jerusalem and help reestablish the priesthood and the Levitical uh, ministers around the temple and help rededicate the people to the Lord and renew their covenant to Him. The book of Nehemiah picks up around a decade or so later. He is the cupbearer to the Persian king, which by this time is Artaxerxes. He gets word that the walls around Jerusalem are still in ruins. At this point, we're around 440s BC, so it's been almost a century since the decree of Cyrus that let the Jews go back home, and the, and the walls around Jerusalem are still in ruins. So he makes a request to Artaxerxes to go back to Jerusalem and kind of help facilitate the rebuilding of the wall. So he'll once again get permission and funding to go back to Jerusalem. He will kind of act as like a mayor and help designate who's going to build what part of the wall and facilitate the building of the wall. So by the time he gets done, Jerusalem is once again a fortified city with a temple for the first time in almost 150 years or so since 586 when the Babylonians came in. And then there's Esther. Esther is a little bit different than the books we've talked about so far in that it doesn't really advance the narrative at all. In fact, the whole book centers around an event that doesn't actually happen. Instead, it seems to be an explanation for why the Jews celebrate the Feast of Purim. So in the law, the Torah, God ordains a handful of specific feasts that the Jews are supposed to celebrate each year. But then they start celebrating this Feast of Purim that's not listed among those. And so this whole book seems to be an explanation for why they celebrate it. But the feast will basically celebrate the foiling of a plan to annihilate all the Jews in the Persian Empire. The book starts off with a king named Ahasuerus. If you don't recognize that name, you may know him by his Greek name, which is Xerxes. So yes, this is the same Xerxes that led the Persians in their wars against the Greeks, which uh, involved the Battle of Thermopylae that most people recognize from the movie 300. But I want to say something about him real quick. We actually don't know very much about Xerxes, even though he was quite possibly the most powerful man to ever live up to that point. We know very little about him. The Persians were great record keepers, but they weren't really known for their character development, I guess you might say. For that kind of stuff, we have to look to a man named Herodotus. But the problem with that is Herodotus is a Greek, writing to a Greek audience about the Greek and Persian wars. So, of course, in his story, Xerxes is the great villain. And again, in the movie 300, when you're talking about the heroic Spartans, Xerxes is your great villain of the movie. So, I'm not saying he was a great guy, I'm just saying that our sources tend to portray him in a certain light. Uh, this meant to feed a narrative. So just take that with a grain of salt. But anyway, back to the story. So Xerxes gets angry with his wife and queen and has her banished. And so the nobility or whoever of Persia decide to have a big beauty contest of the entire empire to see who the new queen will be. They will spend years searching the whole empire for the best candidates and putting them through a beauty treatment uh, to prepare them for Xerxes. During that time, he will be all fighting the Greeks, including the Battle of Thermopylae for some historical context. When he comes back, they present him with the candidates that they found, and a Jewish girl named Esther will end up being his favorite. And Esther will become the new Persian queen. So later on, when a plot is devised to annihilate the Jews, she will be in a very unique position to intercede on their behalf to Xerxes and have him help uh, prevent this from happening. And so, spoiler alert, the Jews do survive. They are saved through Esther and her winning of this beauty contest. And the Jews still celebrate Purim to this day. That, along with Hanukkah, are a few of the festivals they celebrate that are not prescribed in the Law of Moses. And that'll be it for today. This is my first time recording on a new microphone. It's a pretty simple one, but hopefully it's a little bit of an improvement in sound quality. 
And who knows, if the podcast keeps growing, I'll plan to buy a better one. But this will do for now. Uh, As always, I hope this was helpful. Thank you for listening.